What is going on, guys? It is Michael Hunter. This is the ACC Basketball Report coming at you on a Monday evening, the 27th of January. Uh, still, you know, crazy. I don't even know what to think about this league right now. Illinois is winning the Big Ten. Rutgers is in the is in the top 25. Uh, Syracuse is somehow one of the best teams in the league. Uh, uh, Virginia Tech, Boston College is, is beating teams that they shouldn't be beating. Um, Clemson is beating North Carolina. It is nothing but madness in the world of college basketball right now. And I got to say, it's rather enjoyable. I mean, we're having a good time, right? I mean, I we thrive in chaos. We, we, we need drama, right? We feed off the drama. Um, you know, every team in the league providing us with a tremendous amount of drama, with the exception of maybe Florida State. Um it's it's got to, it, you have to consider it as a fun season so far because you just don't know what you're going to get from a product standpoint anytime a team takes the floor in this league right now and uh, you know i think the product isn't as good as we would like to see but the the drama that you know everybody's on kind of the same the same level i guess you know outside of Florida State Louisville and Duke you never know what you're going to get. And even, you know, we've seen with Duke, losing to Clemson, losing to Stephen F. Austin. You know, it's, you never, it, no, don't take anything for granted. Um, real quick, I guess, you know, the, the tragic death of Kobe Bryant and his daughter, as well as seven other people um, yesterday was, was crazy. I was never a huge Kobe fan. Of course, I'm not a big NBA fan, but you know, to lose one of the great ones in, in a tragic fashion. And I said on Twitter yesterday that you know the loss of his daughter, I think, is is something that you know a child losing their life before their life even gets started is always something that is you know just a terrible thing. You know, at least Kobe had the opportunity to live his life, and you know, through 41 years, lived a fantastic life. You know, said to be a great family guy. I mean, we all know some of the the things in his past that we don't need to bring up but I mean the the guy is one of the all-time greats and even though I wasn't really a huge fan of of his or the Lakers or anything like that you have to recognize and appreciate the greatness and you know he inspired a generation of players and and a type of basketball he was just he was a phenomenal talent and you know by and large seemed like a a pretty stand-up guy and you know, I have a lot of friends who are who are Lakers fans, a lot of friends who are Kobe fans, and you know the the out the 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 outpour of support and and love for him is just it's it's crazy. I mean, you couldn't scroll down through your Twitter newsfeed yesterday without. I mean, there was thirty posts in a row. You know, a thousand posts in a row. Everything had to do with Kobe Bryant. So I mean, you know, he was a once in a, a generation type talent that influenced and and you know. I don't really even know how to say it. I don't even know how to how do you eulogize a guy like that who did so much for the game, did so much for for kids, did so much for you know the league, basketball. Just you know, he's a you know it's a, it's a tremendous loss, and uh, you know still a young man at forty one, and you know you hate to see the loss of young life. I I, I know we. I'm just kind of rambling now, but we you know we found out today that there was another child in the helicopter as well. Uh, a couple 13-year-old girls that were going, they were going to a baseball game or something, I, I'm not really sure. But, uh, 
yeah, just just not great. Um, and you know, there's a couple class acts, you know, in tribute to Kobe yesterday that I that I really thought were kind of cool, like uh, the running out of the 24 second shot clock by a couple teams in the NBA. I'm not sure which two teams it was, but I thought that was kind of cool. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's tragic, and uh, you know, take advantage of the time you have here because you never know when it's going to be over. Um, today on ACC Basketball Report. Jonathan Warner uh, joins me again. Jonathan's kind of become a, a regular on ACCBR. Uh, it provides us with bracketology, has an understanding of, of how a bracket is constructed on a level that, you know, not many people seem to understand. So uh, instead of me just getting on here and, and reading net numbers and quadrant numbers and all that stuff, he can kind of give you uh, analysis that you wouldn't wouldn't get otherwise from me so always a good conversation with jonathan he's either been on mine or i've been on his you know this is probably the fifth or sixth time you know maybe even seven times we've been on the air together always a good conversation always fun to have him on and uh you know today we we went outside the acc a little bit we went to the pac-12 the big 10 the big 12 the big east the a10 so it was it was good it's kind of a short pod but uh you know i think uh, a lot of good information in this so Without further ado, Jonathan Warner. Farrell turns the key, drives the lane with three on the shot clock. Doesn't get it. Five seconds to play. Down the floor, Okogi. He beat the buzzer. Today I am joined by Making the Badness host and owner, Jonathan Warner. Uh, Going to do a little bit of ACC bracketology today. Um, I'm not sure, uh, Jonathan. When when did you? What, what's your most recent update for uh, for your bracket? I, well, I do it every day. You do it every day. Good deal. This morning. Um, I guess the the first thing, I guess before we get into it, is I've kind of been asking a question all season long, um, and that question is, who's the fourth best team in the ACC? I've had Georgia Tech there. I've had Virginia Tech there. I think I have Syracuse there right now. Um, I've had Notre Dame there. I've had Virginia there. In your opinion, who is the fourth best team in the ACC right now? I think you know it really depends on the you know when the game is being played. Right now, it's definitely the Syracuse Orange. Uh, they're just playing out of their minds right now, uh, shooting the ball lights out. Buddy Bayheim, Joe Girard, that, that duo has been excellent. I think. If you had to ask me right now who's the fourth best team in the ACC, I would say Syracuse, but, you know, next week Virginia Tech could go 2-0 and mm-hmm. Syracuse could go 1-1. One and one. I'd say Virginia Tech. or it, It's really kind of fluid who the fourth best team in the ACC is. I don't know if there's a you know definite fourth best team in the ACC, but I do think at the moment it is the Syracuse Orange. Where uh, where would you have Syracuse now as far as a uh, seed line? I I think alongside Virginia Tech and NC State, they're all kind of in that bubble range. I think Virginia Tech has the best resume out of the you know three teams, just because you know they have all three camps have similar records, similar resumes. Uh, the Orange a little bit lower rate in the net, uh, but the one thing that Virginia Tech has that the other two teams don't have is that you know neutral site win in Maui against Michigan State. Syracuse has you know solid win. Uh, same with NC State. Not really anything you know that jumps off the page here, uh, as opposed to that Michigan State win that Virginia Tech had. So I'd say for the 
resume perspective, I would say the Hokies probably have the best resume of the three teams. What, uh, you know, coming off a, a strange season overall, I guess, basically in the ACC kind of continues. We're talking about Virginia Tech here. Saturday, you know, they go to Chestnut Hill. They they drop a tough game to Boston College, which uh, is probably their uh, their only bad loss on the season, I guess. Um, though the Virginia game kind of sticks out because Virginia is just playing not very well right now. What does uh, what, what does that loss against Boston College do for for Virginia Tech's resume? I think it hinders it a little bit. It's not going to be, you know, necessarily a killer because, you know, a lot of teams on the bubble are going to have, you know, quadrant two or quadrant three loss here. Uh, you look at Virginia, they have two of them, uh, you know, and up and down, you know, just looking at the bubble, every, you know, couple teams you see already have these, you know, quadrant three, quadrant four losses. So it's not really going to make too big of an impact. I'd say if, you know, let's say they play Boston College, I don't know if they play them again, and lose to them again, that would be, you know, something to where that becomes a little bit more of a concern, especially if the Hokies are, you know, intent on staying on the bubble like they are right now. Uh, The more important thing, I think, you know, for this is it does, you know, hurt their overall metric. You know, I think they were in the 40s, even the 30s, you know, last week, and now all of a sudden they're down to 32 in the net. That's maybe where there's more concern, uh, more so than just having a quadrant three loss on the resume. With, you know, some of the things that we've seen staying on that, that same thread with, with Virginia Tech losing to Boston College, uh, North Carolina State, Going on the road, losing at Georgia Tech. Virginia has lost four out of their last six. Um, you know, Clemson has kind of beaten up on some people. You know, mainly Duke. Um, you know, did lose a game to Louisville. I, I think you would agree that that Florida State, Louisville, and Duke are, are obviously locks for the tournament. If if the middle of the pack and the ACC continues to beat each other up, uh, you know, like they have in the last couple of weeks, is it possible that the ACC only gets three teams in the tournament? I don't see, you know, it kind of happening. I do think, you know, with the way the league is trending, you know, you could maybe see a scenario where the get the league gets four bids. I think it's just hard to see not like one of those teams not having just a good enough resume, mm-hmm. uh, even if it's because like other leagues like the Big Twelve and the Big East are just going to continue to eat each other alive. I do see there's just going to be some way that the ACC at least gets four bids to the tournament. Five, you know, maybe you're looking at stretching it, but I do think, well, you know, any of, you know, the NC State, Syracuse, uh, Virginia Tech, you know, trio, uh, throw Virginia out there, really not in complete contention at this point. Well, any of those teams could find their way outside the field. I think the odds are that at least one of those teams ends up, you know, making the NCAA tournament. With, uh, 
I, I, I'm kind of interested because I've said on, on some appearances I've made lately that the Big 12 I don't think is quite as good as maybe we anticipated coming into the season. Um, a team like TCU being 4-2 and two and number 4 in the conference is, is certainly somewhat surprising to me. Uh, Texas Tech hasn't been as good as I anticipated. Oklahoma hasn't been as good as I anticipated. And I really thought Texas would be would be better as well. Um, with With both the Big 12 and the ACC kind of down, does your bracket reflect, is it like eight teams from the Big East, or are you showing more um, kind of mid-major teams from conferences that maybe typically are, are one or two big leagues now being three or four big leagues? I think the, you know, one league that is benefiting from this is the Pac-12. Mm-hmm. You know, they currently have five teams in my projected field. Uh, well, Washington's not really... You know, they're, they're, I guess, on the bubble. Uh, the Atlantic 10 is currently a projected three-bid league. Uh, you could even see, like, an East Tennessee State, uh, Northern Iowa, if they, let's say, lose their conference tournament, maybe they, one of those teams gets into the field of 68. And there's there's a lot of dif- different ways that bids could go. Uh, as for the Big East, I wrote kind of a blog post that, be publishing tomorrow. Uh, the Big East is also kind of eating itself alive as well. Uh, the bottom five of that league, none of those teams really have a tournament resume right now. Uh, but, you know, all you do really need with some of these t- leagues, you just need one or two teams to go on a run late in the season, and then the, dyna- the dynamic is drastically shifted. Who, uh, who who do you have currently for your four number ones? I a pretty clear you know four grouping. It's Baylor, Kansas, San Diego State, and Gonzaga. I think all four of those teams have kind of separated themselves at this moment. Uh, Kansas just has a lot of quadrant one wins. Their their resume is absolutely stacked. I think they have five quadrant one A wins, which is uh, you know, a level above quadrant one. It's like an upper tier, like top 25 win. So five of those type wins. Uh, Gonzaga and San Diego State, one combined loss. Both those teams, if they just continue to win, they will be on the one line. I can't see clear separation, you know, between those four teams. And I don't even really know who the other team in contention for one seed at this point would be uh, just it's pretty clear and obvious that those are the four number one seeds. If, uh, you know, Florida State happens to get a, a win at Cameron um, in the next couple of weeks, would Florida State have an opportunity to be a one seed? Uh, if they would be able to run the table, um, I could potentially see that being a scenario. You know, it is going to be a scenario where, you know, San Diego State, Gonzaga, Baylor, Kansas, if those teams, you know, continue to perform, like, at the level that they are playing at right now, Mm -hmm. uh, it would be hard to see, like, Duke or Louisville or Florida State or any team really being able to jump onto the one line. Uh, But let's say, you know, Kansas, for example, loses a couple games here or there. All of a sudden, you know, you're looking at a scenario where they 
they might be able to put another team on the one line. But uh, it's going to, I think, kind of depend on what those four teams do. And then if another team can come in and replace them right now. If, um, you know, there's been some talk, and, and you actually brought it to my attention a week ago on Making the Madness. Uh, Cole Anthony says he's coming back. He's not going to be back tonight for, for the NC State game. If if he comes back and the Tar Heels start to start to kind of turn it around, is there an opportunity for them to get in at large, or has there been too much damage done to their resume? It it would really depend on you know what they end up doing with Cole Anthony back in the lineup. Uh, right now, they're you know way out of it, mm-hmm. uh, but let's say he comes back and they went out. I think the committee would obviously you know, put them in, but it'll kind of depend exactly what he does when he does return and what the team looks like. I'm anticipating, you know, North Carolina being, you know, incredible once he returns because it is going to be hard to get back into the thick of things, you know, first couple games back. And then with it, with him in the lineup, they weren't, really all that good anyway mm-hmm. you know they got obliterated by an Ohio State team that at this point is you know questionable uh, they do have that Oregon win so maybe they can you know go back to that one but you know right now I'd say no but I guess it would depend on what he does what the team does when he is back on the court but right now they are playing uh from two miles behind mm-hmm. where all the you know other bubble teams are at this point. Um, I've said both on Twitter um, and and on this podcast that if you had if you if you took Virginia and took the name away from from their resume and just kind of put it out there blind, that you wouldn't give the Cavaliers any consideration for an at large bid at all. Is, is that kind of where – do you have them in your current bracket, I guess, is is my question. And, you know, what what kind of seed line are the Cavaliers looking at this year? Uh, I Right now they would be outside the field, I'd say, probably, you know, in that next five outs. Mm-hmm. Uh, like eighth or ninth team out at the moment. Uh, let's say you put Xavier on their name. Xavier has pretty much the exact same – Resume, Virginia has one more loss, uh, or one less loss, but two more quadrant three losses. So that's basically, you know, quite the same thing. And no one right now in their right mind is talking about Xavier being an NCAA tournament team. So, you know, long, you know, long story short, if you take Virginia off the name of the front of the jersey, uh, I don't think this is an NCAA tournament team. I was actually going to ask you about Xavier here as well. Um, kind of a trendy uh, Final Four pick in the preseason. Um, really have not gotten anything going. I don't think – I've probably seen them three, four, five times, and they just look a little discombobulated. Is this a team that you like, a team that you think can turn it around? And right now – well, I guess you just said that there's there's no way that they look like a tournament team right now. But would they be given the benefit of the doubt if they kind of – kind of turn it around here in the next couple of weeks? I, I do think their schedule opens 
mm-hmm. it up for them to turn around. I was looking, you know, kind of at you know their schedule, and it is a little bit easier on the back half, so they can maybe rally get to that twenty-one mark and get back, you know, on the bubble or on the right side of the bubble even. Uh, but they're going to need to start winning games now. They, you know only have one quadrant one win at this point in the season, uh, which, you know, is not going to really do, you know, move the needle for them. They'll they'll need to turn around really quickly, uh, get back probably into the top, you know, 50 of the net. uh, If they are only going to have, you know, one or two quadrant one wins come selection Sunday. I think this team, I really think they will turn around. I think they're dead in the water. They are, you know, going to be a bottom half Big East team. But, you know, if they do turn around, I could see them maybe, you know, moving into the projected field. They're able to get, you know, to that 9-9 number in Big East play. Yeah, it's uh, pretty crazy. This is a team that started started the season 11-2. and two. Um, have lost four to their last five. And actually, I got Ken Palm pulled up right now. They are only, pre- right now they're at 13 and seven. And Ken Palm only has them in their last dozen or so games to win two games. That would be at home against DePaul and at home against Providence. So uh, a lot of work for uh, for Xavier to, uh, to go moving forward. Uh, another team outside the ACC I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on is... Um, the Dayton Flyers, kind of the darlings of, of college basketball this year. Um, struggled a little bit recently um, against uh, St. Louis. Uh, you know, Obi Toppin, one of the best players in the country. Jalen Crutcher, one of the best players in the country that nobody really talks about, it seems. Um, blew out St. Bonaventure recently. Got a good win on the road against Richmond this past weekend. What are you looking for as far as a seed line for Dayton? Um, are, are we going to be kind of cautious with them considering the league they play in, or are they going to, are they looking at a two or a three line? I think two or three line is, you know, probably the reasonable expectation for Dayton. Uh, either one of those seeds, it'll depend kind of also upon, you know, if they can win out, they're probably, you know, the top two seed and competing for one seed. If let's say Kansas or Baylor or, San Diego State, you know, lose a game here or there. Uh, but it, it will depend on what they can do the rest of the Atlantic 10 play. The A-10 has been a pretty good league this year. Uh, Richmond, St. Louis is, you know, winning those games on the road is a quadrant one win this year. Mm-hmm. VCU is always good. So they really have more opportunities than, let's say, at San Diego State to pick up, you know, quality wins. And let's say, seeing... San Diego State loses to Air Force, for example, and Dayton wins out. I think you might be looking at a scenario where the Flyers could potentially sneak past San Diego State on the one line. How many uh, how many Atlantic Ten teams do you have in right now? I currently have three teams in. I have Rhode Island. Uh, they're in the last four in. I also have VCU and Dayton. Uh, VCU is more a bubble team, I think. Uh, they're not really... The resume doesn't really stand out at this point, but I think they're probably going to be able to continue to accumulate wins and you know gradually 
move up to that 8-9 line. I think they're, if we're looking just at the moment, they're probably, I think, closer to the bubble than most VCU fans would like. But at the same time, I do think this is a team that will probably, you know, go like 15-3 in the Atlantic 10 and maybe 14-4, something like that, and, you know, move up a few seed lines if the teams continue to fall. Is there a team, I guess, uh, that, that you kind of have in your bracket that, that nobody's really talking about that kind of has a sneaky good resume? A team I think that- a team that, you know, a lot of people are underwriting the, their resume is Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have six losses, but all six of the losses uh, come in quadrant one. Uh, five of the six losses come in quadrant one A. Uh, they have a neutral at Minnesota. Uh, they have a couple, you know, they have five quadrant two wins. I think Oklahoma's a team. I think most people are saying they're a bubble team. Uh, I think they're pretty clearly a step ahead of a lot of the other teams that are, you know, right now I'd say actually on the bubble. I'd say Oklahoma's probably closer to nine seed than they are to, let's say, an 11 seed, which is where you would see the last four in. Yeah, it was, uh, well, you know, one team that's that's caught my eye just in the last couple of days that is having a season that I, I guess I, I'm not going to say that I wasn't aware of, but I just haven't paid much attention to them given what Andy Enfield has done in recent seasons is, you know, USC at 16-4, and four, and I, I'm not sure what they are in conference, 5-2, and two, something like that, yeah, 5-2. and two. Uh, currently number 51 in, in Ken Palm. Where do you have the Trojans, and are they one of the more surprising teams in the nation for you? Yeah, the Trojans have been, you know, sneakily very good. I think the thing is, you know, so many years, Andy Enfield has had, you know, talented players, and, you know, year after year, it's like there may be a double team, there may be a, you know, first four out, they missed the tournament with all these, you know, great players. And this year, it's really not been the case. Uh, they've been pretty consistent. Onyeka Kongu is probably the most talented player that Andy Enfield has ever had at USC. Uh, they're kind of a weird team, you know, as a rotation, because they can't play uh, two to three big men at a time, which is uh, kind of goes against the modern ways of college basketball. After their resume, you know, they have that neutral fight wing at the LSU. That win is looking better and better by the day. Uh, obviously, coming back to beat Stanford is really, I think, kind of what put them on the map. They do have a quadrant three loss to Temple, but it's, you know, Temple's not a completely terrible team. Uh, it might be why they're you know, net ranking is 40. That's, I guess, a little bit of a concern if they take a couple more losses in conference play. But right now, I think this is probably an 8-9 seed level uh, USC team. So, you know, one of the things that, I, you know, I'm not really a numbers guy, I'm more of an eye test guy, but, you know, they have, you know, on this resume, they've got, you know, their best win is is that LSU win. And then the next one is probably the Stanford win, TCU, um, and then Nevada and Harvard. 
you know, Stanford's kind of stumbling right now. Um, I'm not sure I'm, I'm buying TCU as a, as a, a team that's going to be, you know, top half of the Big 12 for the entire season. How, you know, if those teams fade, does that negatively impact a, a team like USC who doesn't have a lot of quality wins on their resume right now anyway? And, and how much can that hurt them come Selection Sunday? Yeah, it's definitely something that, you know, if you looked up and TCU's ranked 76th and you know, Stanford's ranked 31st in the net, mm-hmm. you're all of a sudden looking at a team with, you know, only one quadrant one win. I, I think it's really up to what they can continue to do uh, as Pac-12 play, you know, progresses. They took Oregon on the road to overtime, I think double overtime. Double overtime, yeah, so if they continue to play at the level uh, that they're playing at at the moment, you know they're going to be able to pick up a few more wins and help really solidify their resume. Uh, but they do the typical Andy Enfield and you know back themselves into a corner, start <laughs> losing games that they maybe should win. Then you're maybe looking at concern if you know a couple of those losses go the other way but you know for right now their resume is good and i do you know on paper by the talents that this team has and they've looked really good recently so uh a lot of reasons to buy the trojans at this point in the season jonathan before i uh before i let you go was there any other uh was there any other teams that maybe have caught your eye that you wanted to talk about tonight before i get you out of here uh, Rutgers basketball is back. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, they're a pretty clear tournament team. I think Iowa has a sneaky good resume. Yep. Uh, Creighton is another team I think as well. You know, has a sneaky good resume. Uh, other than that, uh, I guess Ohio State continues to rank top twenty in the net, even uh, despite losing their last fourteen games or so. What uh, it's funny you bring up the Buckeyes, and this is a question. I think last, you know, we talked last year about St. John's being in the seventies, I believe, the mid seventies in the net and receiving an at-large bid. What was the best, the the highest net ranking last year that didn't receive uh, an at-large? Are you do you know that number or do you know that team? Because it feels uh, like Ohio State's going to be pretty good in the net, but I mean they're playing terribly right now. I don't remember what it was last year. Uh, I want to say TCU was probably the team mm-hmm. that was ranked highest in the net that didn't get in. Uh, I do remember two years ago, I think USC it was, they were ranked like 31st in the net and didn't get in. Now, they didn't have the quality of wins that, let's say, Ohio State has sure. at this point in the season. But, I mean, at the same time, it, you know, if you... If you're tiering in the 30s without, you know, a good overall resume, you might be looking at, you know, missing the tournament. I look at, you know, a team like Purdue, Michigan, you know, a couple of those teams that, you know, could enter Selection Sunday like 16 and 16, similar to how Indiana was last year, and that's just not going to make the NCAA tournament. They, the committee is not going to allow your teams to, you know, basically be 
at 500 and, you know, make the tournament just on, you know, good resume alone. So, you know, right now, this is this is kind of interesting to me as well. Wisconsin, in the, you know, we're going to stay in the Big 12, I guess, for a minute. But Wisconsin at 12-8, and 5-4 and four in the league, obviously playing better right now than Ohio State at 13-7 and 3-6 and and in the league. Does, does Wisconsin have a better chance than, than an Ohio State who Ohio State was beating everybody early in the season but have obviously faded lately? Is, is there a real chance here that the Buckeyes won't make the tournament? I, I think it's an outside chance. You know, right now their resume is just strong enough that they're going to make the NCAA tournament. And really, they, you know, they're at 13-7 right now. They really only need like five more wins to make the NCAA tournament because they're not going to have any bad losses. Minus, you know, let's say they lose to Northwestern or Nebraska here, mm-hmm. uh, but they're going to have the quality of wins that is going to hold up that they could afford to have, let's say, an 18-14 and 14 record and still make the NCAA tournament. All right, man. I will uh, I will let you get out of here. I appreciate you taking the time to uh, to join me. And, uh, yeah, man, I, you know, always a pleasure to have you on. Thanks for letting me come on. It was a fun time. A lot of good discussion to have from the bracketology season. Yeah, I got to keep you around because I don't know shit about it. So I got to keep you here to, to educate my people. So, hey, uh, I'll, I'll catch up with you here in a minute. I got a uh, question I got to ask you off the air. Okay. All right, cool. Thank you. Yep. All right. That was Jonathan Warner of Making the Madness. Uh, as always, appreciate Jonathan coming on. And as always, I appreciate you guys taking the time to listen. Uh, again, like, rate, review, share the podcast, uh, you know, get the word out. This is the authority on ACC basketball as far as I am concerned. All right. Um, Let's see. What else? Nothing. Nothing. I appreciate you guys taking the time. Tune in next week when I got Brian Ralph from Bustin' Brackets, who has all the knowledge in the world. Always going to be a good discussion. Always a great guest. One of my favorite podcasts, Bustin' Brackets podcast with him and Connor Hope. Tune in. It's going to be great. Appreciate you. Later.